This is Luminous, conversations on sacred arts, coming to you from the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir's Seminary in Yonkers, New York. And I'm Peter Butenev. Welcome, my friends, to another episode recorded in the field and in Estonia, specifically in Tallinn, Estonia, at the Estonian Academy of Music and Theatre, a storied place where some of the great lights of Estonia have been educated over the decades and where many of them are now teaching as well, including our guest today, who is Tönu Kurvitz, one of the leading lights of the Estonian artistic world. Uh, and that's something that places him in a very high and rarefied category. Whenever I consider Estonia, I think of not only the output of composers, and we all know Arvo Pert, uh, but also the musicians. World-class ensembles like the Estonian National Symphony, the Estonian Philharmonic Chamber Choir, the Tallinn Chamber Orchestra, uh, these are unparalleled ensembles whom Tony Korvitz has the fortune of being able to work with, yet he's also been recorded worldwide. His oeuvre is vast in its instrumentation and in its character. He writes for orchestras, for choral ensembles, for chamber ensembles. He has written symphonies, song series, and operas. His music is not explicitly sacred, yet if you listen to it, and perhaps you know it already, you will know it as music that is transportative. It transports us in mind, body, and spirit to a very specific kind of a place that I certainly, in my heart, associate with the sacred. And that's something that Maestro Korvitz and I talk about in our conversation here in a small practice room at the storied Estonian Academy of Music and Theatre. As I customarily do in these podcasts, I begin with my question to him, what has been bringing you joy? A good question for a blues man. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I, I think the... The main source of bringing joy to life is is music in general. I mean, I'm so grateful that there is still music in, in, in this world and uh, that I have a possibility to serve it and um, be in music. So tonight I have a premiere of my trumpet concerto, which is actually a work which... Uh, I have been dreaming uh, for a, for a very long time because trumpet is a, such a cool instrument and uh, has has influenced me very much. Um, I mean, the recordings of Miles Davis and oh. uh, especially Chet Baker, mm. who is just one of my favorite musicians. Um, they have um, leave their mark in me and and. Now, in this summer, I, I worked um, with, with this piece, and um, tonight is a premiere, so I'm very curious about that, and, and um, fingers across that everything will be fine. Indeed. 
right off the bat, this um, raises for me a really interesting question as someone who is a jazz musician myself and um, does does the music of different genres sort of cross over for you uh, to influence your musical thinking, your composition? Uh, you're not a jazz composer as such. I mean, these genres are sort of separate. Uh, so how, how does, let's say, Miles Davis or Chet Baker, how, how, what kind of influence do they exert on you musically? Well, maybe I should start from a f history. I, I grew up in a family um, my, where we listen to a different kind of music. And in, at my home, the music my parents listened. My, my father is a arranger of pop and rock and jazz musician, and, and he's still active, and he's, uh, um, he's a professional arranger of music. Kind of, I don't know, Quincy Jones or Jill Evans of Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the music we listened was uh, like 70s pop and rock music, um, uh, all this. Bee Gees, Osmonds, uh, Chicago, they, they played at my home from this, on, on this reel-to-reel player and and later when i grew up i um, discovered the music of 80s i mean of my teenage years and uh, uh, i grew up actually listened to not not to classical music but um, yeah different kind of music but then i began my, began my studies and uh, i came across to more classical music and contemporary classical music but yes, uh, they this kind of different genres they they left a very deep impact in in me and and it's still there, and I don't know I I don't choose anything consciously, I mean there are probably um, some reflections from from every everything and even in the rehearsals. Of this trumpet concerto, very many players said to me that oh, it's so jazzy and mm. <laughs> and even pop. Or you know, for me, it's well. If it is like this, then it's it's fine. That's that's me. I don't pretend to be anybody else. Or this this is my my song and uh, and all all the music that is inside of me. But yes, I, I listen mainly rock and pop music and jazz also okay. in recent okay. times. Yeah, I mean, while, while we talk and I'm thinking of, and you mentioned Gil Evans, um, some of his string arrangements, Four Miles, and I think of some other kind of crossover string arrangements, even for Prince, you know, like Claire mm -hmm. Fisher. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually can hear... Uh, whether or not these are direct influences in your music, in you know, I'm familiar mostly for, with your orchestral work, and your your string arrangements have this extremely lush and um, harmonically almost unsettled category uh, kind of uh, feel to them that I think. Um, I can hear in some of the more sophisticated uh, arrangements within 
within jazz as well. I, I'm not trying to force you into, you know, this is, I suppose, just what I hear, uh, especially given what you just said mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and what you listen to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Well, Bill Evans was a genius. Uh, I mean, everything he, he did with is mild is a... Is a masterpiece, but I like love so much how he treated harmonies and how he treated also the timber. Well, he created uh, his his own kind of big bands, band where is no saxophones. Right. <laughs> so, what right. kind of big band is that? Right. Right. But uh, he in included there like tube and harp and yeah. horns, French horns. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's the, pretty cool. So. The liberty to just think yes. timbre and mm -hmm. uh, creatively. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Miles loved him, mm -hmm. too. They had mm -hmm. such an important relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but so it, you're mentioning in your own trumpet concerto, which is premiering tonight uh, here in Tallinn, uh, s some of the players are actually recognizing jazz or pop uh, elements mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so they said to me yeah, yeah. but it's it's fine for me yeah. and uh, and uh, i think it's true too so. uh, much of your music that i'm familiar with uh, is uh, thematically based um, uh, whether it's the uh, Moreland elegies, which is specifically on the text, and then even the um, hymns to the Nordic Lights, uh, is uh, is the trumpet concerto, or or and other kind of of your current work, is it based on any particular either text or idea or region or? Sometimes it's. Um would to be just cool in all kind of titles and and this poetic thing so for example this trumpet concerto i just decided to name it trumpet concerto and it has three parts and that's it <laughs> sometimes you you don't have to add anything but <laughs> in another hand of course all these texts i i'm choosing for my works and uh, i'm working with and also the titles of the of the compositions they are very important to me for example i know composers who are struggling with the titles of of of, uh, of their work like they don't it's it's a hard issue or or, or not not easy easy task for for them to put a name of mm -hmm. the composition mm -hmm. but for me it's uh, it's the main thing I, I start usually from the title. I don't have any any notes and then I have this title and then I start it. Speaking about how, for you, the title um, is what actually kind of dictates the composition. It sort of pushes the pushes the stone, which then has begins to roll, as it were. 
Yes, that's true. So, yeah, it's it's an important thing for me, but somehow, somehow when when you are on it already, on a certain idea, a certain journey in music, a certain patterns, then this title just comes to you when you are ready for it. And I think it's with everything in 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 music. The things come come to will come to you when you are ready for it. Yeah. Um, I think of a couple of your works that are um, based either in previously existing texts or in um, well, in the case of. Um, Craig's uh, notebooks and and the sacred folk songs mm-hmm. they're based on. Um, would you want to say a few words about that composition? How how did that come to you? What what was the what was the right time that this came to you? And and how how did you approach it compositionally? Craig's uh, notebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, uh, I'm a big admirer of uh, Kirillus Krek, one classical Estonian composer. He has um, such a brilliant sense of harmony. It's um, it's amazing. Um, I don't know how it works, but but it has a certain like originality and certain overtones. That's just beautiful. And um, he was also a collector of um, all kind of folk tunes, uh, you know, kind of Bartok of Estonia, who 100 years ago went to, to the small villages in, in Estonia and and wrote down all, all this, what um, uh, people sang to him. And uh, I still have even at home kind of small sheets of um, uh, no, uh, note papers. They are like uh, size of a postcard, I would say. And it's just a perfect size for you know, to put them in, in your palm and, you know, just write very quickly down. Yeah. It's a uh, genius format. So um, uh, in, in this cycle, I've used some of the folk tunes he mm, collected and uh, and uh, to honor him i i named it as a craig's notebook <laughs> so it's yeah. it's a bit confusing uh, uh, also sometimes because people said that oh you you arranged this craig uh, uh-huh. craig's <laughs> Um, uh, compositions, and then I say, no, it's uh, it's my work. Yeah. It's just a homage mm-hmm. to him. So, yeah. Did any of the uh, either texts or even any of the melodies from the notebook itself uh, find their way into into your melodies and into your composition? Mm, uh, yeah. Well. Um, as they are folk tunes, I always take it as a kind of living uh, organ. <laughs> I mean, uh, they are not um, just written down and, and they stay as they are. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i also a member of, uh, of um, 
of a community or nation here, so I can sing them in my own way. So I I I did it rather freely and changed some things and and but I did it with um, respect and and love. So I think it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the nature of, of a lot of folk tale and a lot of folk music is that it is uh, adaptable mm-hmm. over, over time, just kind of it, 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 it evolves. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you played a role in the, in the movement, maybe not permanent or whatever, but a movement uh, within. Mm-hmm. Um, would these be some of the same tales that would be sung at, uh, uh, songs that would be sung at the song festivals every couple of years in Tallinn or... or um, well, no, but but yeah, this Craig's notebook is actually one of my most played works, and in in the states, uh, it has been played several times. I've I've been in the concerts also, so it's uh, it's funny even because the piece is in Estonian, and uh, and uh, well, people who 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 sing it, they actually don't understand this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's but that's an, that's lovely. Yes, <laughs> that's lovely. I guess I meant you know the original songs that Craig himself was documenting. Mm-hmm. Um, would these be songs that that you would hear uh, an Estonian sing? Yes, yes, yeah. very, very much. He's very popular here and very yeah. respected among the choirs and. Um, One of the things that's commonly observed about Estonia is uh, what a singing culture it is and how cultivated uh, the choirs are. And uh, to what extent does this um, influence your compositional choices, um, whether to write something for a cappella or write something that is with or without voice, etc. Yes, I think it's uh, a good place to be a composer here in Estonia. Very good place, and I'm very thankful for 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 this opportunity <laughs> to to uh, to be born and raised up here, mm. and, and that I live here, because yes, we have a very strong culture of of singing and and choirs and all these singing celebrations. And music is very honored and respected here. So this is a this is a very musical land. And even you know these uh, singing celebrations, which uh, take part after every five years, yeah. the program is not easy actually. So the choirs and and there will there are singers like around I don't know thirty forty thousand. Singers, the the choirs who who sing it, they have been rehearsing it for you know more than one year, so it's a it's a hard hard thing and and very technical. So it's um, it's cool. It's tremendous. I, I mm-hmm. am always just stunned here when I come to 
see how much good music is performed every night almost <laughs> by um, local uh, instrumental and or choral uh, groups. It's, uh, it's a, a tremendous concentration. Um, in the States, there is one college that is uh, devoted exclusively to choral singing, Westminster Choir College. Mm -hmm. And um, I think here there are numerous uh, um, kind of yes. conservatories that focus on, on yeah, mm -hmm. choral singing. That's, and so many choirs. Every company, every ba even bank has a chamber choir. So I know it's amazing for people from, from America is. that a yeah. bank has a chamber choir. We have a baseball team, you know, in a bank, but you have a choir. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. <laughs> um, I, I suppose another composition that uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about is the uh, the Moreland elegies and how how you came upon uh, Emily Bronte uh, and 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 seized upon these texts to to set to a suite. Mm, yeah, I, I I have been working with um, text of Bronte also before this cycle, and um, somehow. These lyrics attract me so much. I mean, it's about solitude because the life she she lived was very, she was very alone. I think, well, just just her sisters and and her in in the middle of nowhere in in England, <laughs> uh, in some moorland, empty moorland landscape. That was pretty all. But you know, all she needed was. In, he, in her mind and in her dreams. And there is a certain, mm, well, amount of melancholy in, in her text, of course, uh, very strong and deep and even, mm, yeah, a, a bit frightening sense of nature, which is very common to Estonians too. Yeah. So this, yeah. this was also a very important thing which att attracted me and uh, um, and a courage. I don't know the exact word how to explain it, but I think she was somehow very brave and very. She had courage to do things and say out. So this is amazing. Mm. Yeah, I just love her poetry, and then um, then it, it it started. Yes, I I have a very good. Um, friend, Doris Koreva, who is a poet, and uh, she's very good in, in all languages, and, and she's one of the, well, she's the most loved poet here in, in Estonia. And um, yeah, she was a nominee for a Nobel Prize just a few years ago. Wow. Wow. Yes, so she's she's very well known and very loved here, and and we have a very good connection actually, and uh, and she helped me to choose this text and also make the order, and actually it was her who created this title, Moorland Elegies. Ah. 
Yes, and in Estonian it's called Lage da Laulut. It's uh, Lage is a kind of empty space, and Laulut is a song. song. Yeah, so it's uh, in Estonian has a, a bit different, different title. And then later we we work together with um, with a text of uh, Cesare Pavese, an Italian author, um, and. Uh, then it came. We, we came to the cycle "Sei la luce e il mattino," um, which is also now released. And now, the third, and I, I, I feel the final cycle in this format. It's it's done. It's ready, but it it hasn't been premiered yet due to the situation of. of, of and the pandemic situation here, but it will be hopefully premiered now in, in the spring, and it's um, called The Sound of Wings, and this is in Estonian. And it's uh, Doris Kareva wrote these lyrics, and um, it is connected to the story of Amelia Earhart. So somehow her um, her life and what she did, uh, it has been... Uh, kind of song in in my head, uh, and so these voices in my head, <laughs> they told me to do something with that, and then um, yeah, we we created the, the cycle, so it's um, it has has not been premiered yet, but it will be ready. So three yeah. things. One, um, the very first one is Mulandelages um, on the words of Emily Bronte which is um, a cycle of solitude, nature, dreams, hope. Then in Italian language, Sei la luce e il, e il mattino, you are light and morning. On the text of Cesare Pavese, um, which is, I think, very dark cycle. Um, but somehow... In the very bottom of, of this darkness, there lies a kind of source, and it flows, and it. Um, I I I, I lo lo love very much the poetry of Pavese, and now the third one, yes, in Estonian. So it's I think it's it's done now. <laughs> Deep flowers, where 
one of the things you said about Bronte, I mean, some of the words you used to describe her poetry were so um, moving, um, having to do with solitude, loneliness. Uh, I think you also used the word hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and you somehow connected this to classically Estonian uh, spaces, emotional spaces of, of perhaps especially solitude. Um, did I hear you correctly? That this is, yeah, um, kind of resonates with the Estonian soul. Very much, yes. Yeah. And of course, the sense of nature yeah. to Estonians are very, very sensitive about nature, and uh, you know they all have their own tree to go and talk with, and <laughs> it's um, and when Estonian wants to be alone and uh, and wants to have peace, then he or she will go to the forest for a walk. Yeah, so, yeah, of course it, 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 it resonates in, in this part of the world too, but mm-hmm. people are different and, well, all the Estonians are not the same, so. <laughs> yeah. I know very many Estonians who speak so quickly, even quicker than Italians, so. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there's a... Uh, every every stereotype has major exceptions. Yes, <laughs> um, but I think there's a, even even as some of these sensibilities can characterize an Estonian soul, uh, there is something universal to us. Uh, I think there's some kind of a deep rooted loneliness that perhaps all of us uh, experience and alienation from uh, other people from nature and and uh i think we need music to not simply paper that over and make us cheerful but rather to accompany that uh loneliness and 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 what may be more subtle is is how it might instill hope i don't know yeah Thanks God we have music in in this world. So. Indeed, that's how you began, and yes. <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 true. It is a great uh, source of um, of consolation. Uh, so uh, you described a little bit your childhood and and uh, with this Quincy Jones like father, mm-hmm. uh, career wise, and um, and your influences. Would you say that uh, composition, if we, if we focused on the, the work of composition, uh, is this something you would say is inevitable in your life, that you can be nothing else? This is, or is it, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a hobby in your case, because you are so productive and so... Uh, uh, there's so prolific, but in in your own life, do you think composer composition? This is my life's breath. Mm, well, I don't think about that every day. I mean, well, I work every day. Um, I have a certain discipline. I, I go every day to my 
studio and I, I stayed there at least four or five hours or even longer. But that's your discipline is to simply write whether or not there's a particular inspiration. Well, there always is. <laughs> I think so. Well, almost always. And when when it's not a good day, you you can do whatever. You can correct your old old work or or just listen to some good music and check some scores or whatever. I don't know. I I've been in music thirty years already, and uh, I don't think so much about that anymore. I mean, I just sing my songs. This is a thing I want to do. I I want to f to finish and complete some things well. And I hope I have time and energy and inspiration for that. And uh, I just keep on going. Uh, there is nothing to waste time. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that I'm, a, you know, I'm a, this kind of that I, I only live in my studio and, uh, well, I love to do all kind of different things, not speaking of, you know, also to go to the concerts of, of not, not just classical music, and um, but I, I also like to do things which are not connected to music, and, and, but, you know, I, I, I love literature, I love cinema, I love um, art, I love culture in, in general, and this is very important, too. You know, I was going to ask you um, what kind of rock-slash-pop artists you listen to, but I, also, I want to ask directly whether you listen to Radiohead. Yes. Because um, mm -hmm. very much <laughs> the kind of the kind of I tried to describe earlier the the, the sensibility I sometimes hear in, in many different of your compositions from different periods, mm -hmm. and uh, it seems to inhabit a space emotionally that I associate also with them. Um, Radiohead is one one of my favorite band bands. I think for twenty years already. So it's yeah, I admire admire them very much. But not only. I'm a big fan of blues music also and classical blues music. And I've been so many times in the trails of of this uh, blues thing in in Mississippi and. Mm. Uh, I've been in the crossroads and uh, everywhere in, in the right. Delta. So right. I, I've been uh, yeah, in the most underground pop somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the Mississippi and just listening to the good, good blues music. So there is something raw, something yeah. Um, yeah. really cool. You've made the pilgrimages to the holy places. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as I grew up with the music of uh, 70s and 80s, this music, especially 80s, this music is very close to me. I think, uh, uh, I mean, all this new wave and new romantic bands which came after punk music, mm -hmm. I, for example, The Police. Yeah, right. I, lo I love this band. They had so many influences from reggae yeah, and ska and, yeah. and, and it was such a um, brilliant poetry. I mean, just three of them and yeah. mm, well I, I love uh, 
Duran Duran and all, and uh, Dexys Midnight Drummers, sure. English <laughs> new romantic uh, ensembles. Yeah. Yeah. They they took took this kind of fashion moments also to in, into their music and uh, Queen? Queen also mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to like Genesis very much when I was young, especially the um, the early as with Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel, I, I love. Oh yeah, I've yeah. been in the concert of Peter Gabriel and in the concert of Genesis too. Actually, it was uh, one of the last towers they had mm-hmm. tours they had mm-hmm. fourteen years ago, I think. Well, there, uh, you know, when you get to the kind of progressive rock scene, there's a kind of a conscious. Uh, importation of classical sensibilities and, you know, with mellotrons or whatever, they're trying to evoke this big symphonic sound as well. So um, uh, it's a bit anachronistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but say one, one or two more words about Radiohead. Why are mm-hmm. they so important to you over these 20, 30 years? Um, mm. Well, You know, it, uh, how how I came to Radiohead, of course, I, I, in the 90s when I was a student, I heard some songs, uh, Creep and, and so on, which were very popular. But I guess it was uh, in, in the beginning of, of this um, century when I, I heard an interview from a Finnish radio station. But I heard, uh, didn't hear it from the beginning, and then um, I just listened to the guys. It was an interview with a band, and... Um, it was very interesting what what they t- uh, were telling there, and they were a bit arrogant, as you know, all <laughs> our rock musicians are saying, just yes or no. And then suddenly, some somebody said that in 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 the band rehearsals, we mainly listen to the music of Stravinsky. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking. <laughs> What 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 What's rock band <laughs> listens to Stravinsky? <laughs> this yeah. this is very cool. I want to know what band it is. And then later I know it was interviews radio. So I immediately went to the store and then I bought this Amnesiac mm-hmm. record, which is I like very much. And and so so I came to came to this band and I love the it's it's um uh, how would I say I think their compositions are. Uh, not only not musical compositions, but it, I, I feel something else there. It's a, it's a, like a piece of art, <laughs> or or something like this. Uh, it's a painted music, or it's so interesting to listen how how they create this kind of space using all all kind of delicate electronic sounds, but also have this rock. Um, um atmosphere with guitars and i just love tom york singing with falsetto yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is i mean yeah. using falsetto it's um such a cool thing in rock and pop music and uh, not not very many singers use it well some robert plant maybe and yeah some Someone else, maybe, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, they seem unafraid to leave the listener in a not fully comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're happy yeah. to just leave it there and mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. 
uh, resolve things mm -hmm. uh, too easily, mm -hmm. uh, not to bring you to a happy place. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're fascinating. I, I think part of what you were hearing in the interview, too, is that I think they're all very shy. <laughs> yes, bro. <laughs> like yes. many big performers, extremely shy and introverted people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. lovely. Um, there is one, yeah. you, you ask about influences, but, yeah. you know, I, I must talk one about one, one thing which actually I think influence also me, uh, me very much. And um, I think it, I was 17 or 18 years old and um, one of my friends took me uh, to his friend and uh, it was year 1987. Uh, and it was March, April, I don't think, I don't remember exactly, but the thing was that the, the guy had at home the vinyl of U2, the Joshua Tree, mm. oh, yeah. which was just released. And of course I knew U2, but I, it was somehow, he luckily got it, it was a different regime we were living it was soviet times it was hard to get the vinyl but but he he got it and he he had this vinyl and when he put it and i just listened to it I, and i never forget the feeling that is this possible this is so cool wow what kind of music is that yes and i think this record well i never forget this so yeah i i, I love this music especially this this record <laughs> It's it's lovely to hear that that was another <laughs> influence. Um, you use the word uh, just in passing, uh, inspiration, like that you were inspired. Um, I think many artists know intuitively what they mean by it, but what 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 does this word mean for you? Is is there anything external that inspires us, or is it? kind of just the, the atmosphere or... Uh... Yeah, it's a good, good question. I mean, first, well, mm, you must be in it. You must be in music and you just can't walk around and wait for inspiration. I mean, you must work, work for it. And um, yeah, you can't leave your working desk too long alone, I mean. Maybe some music will come there and the music will not find you <laughs> and and uh, if you are not there. And maybe some other day the music just will not will not come there anymore. So you you just are in it and I think it's this inspiration is somehow independent of the life and of of everything it's it's just you know inspiration will find you when it's the right time and right place and when you have deserved it, it. <laughs> kind of maybe working towards the conclusion of some of what we want to talk about Aaron. I, I like to bring in words like inspiration and just see what people might mean by it. And then, of course, since I work in this sacred arts, um, 
Is that a word that you ever use to describe either your process or your music or someone else's music that is sacred in some way? And then what for you is is meant by this word, English word of sacred? Um, well, this is a very personal thing also. And... Um, I don't know. There are some things maybe not better to touch or, or talk about, but but music is sacred and, and life is sacred. So and there is something bigger than, than life, so you just have to follow it and um, and um, so serve everything. I think a lot of us uh, can relate to the sense of something bigger than uh, us, etc. Whether we define that or not, and uh, is when we invoke the category of sacred, is is that at a minimum what what we mean? Something that is transcendent it, it, it's out outside of our known categories and yes yeah 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 is the word uh spiritual spirituality uh of any use in describing these things or is it too vague or is it how does that word i mean i i realize we're operating in english and i appreciate yeah. <laughs> Well, um, you are digging in this kind of um, depths that um, I know they are and they exist, but I don't. I'm not sure how how much I I think about this every day. I mean, <laughs> I do think about these kind of things, of course, mm. but uh, mm. I feel myself like uh, more um, more a musician or, or, or person who, who just I must serve the thing well the, serve this little gift I've, I've been given and, and and I'm happy with that yeah <laughs> yeah well especially when you when you say as you did that you know music itself is sacred and in a way when you're serving it you're serving that aspect of it I, th I i think though that some whether whether people think about it every day or have words about it every day um there are musicians for whom such questions are not as important perhaps and I sense, even by your silence, that it is an important question for you. And somehow, listening to your music, I cannot doubt that um, these are spaces that you inhabit and that you seek to give some kind of expression to. Um, because this music is... is 
I mean, maybe if if sacred music as a technical term would refer to compositions set to sacred texts or whatever, well, if but if sacred describes a place that the composer and the listener are invited to enter, uh, then it's certainly uh, mm-hmm. that's what's going on in your in your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there, a, you know, now you sense the kinds of conversations we, that I'm interested in, 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 in having here, and some of them go into this very personal territory, but, um, is there an area that you were hoping to talk about or that you would like to mention, you know, as we draw our conversation to a close, is there, is there another place you'd like to visit that, that we haven't visited? in our conversation. Mm. Well, I don't know. Well, well, maybe one interesting thing is that um, 25 years ago or so, after finishing my my studies here in music, music academy, I mainly worked as a arranger of music. So, like f- four or five years, even more. And um, then I start to write more my music and uh, arrange less. But I still, even now, I still sometimes do it, but not so much anymore. So this kind of arranging music and I did so many different things I arranged for big bands and I worked so so much with all rock musicians and pop musicians here in Estonia it was a very good school very like I studied so much from it uh, because very often it was uh, this kind of situation that uh, um, there album should have been released and then already like this combo instruments were were recorded and and uh, we need a string orchestra on that and like i don't know seven eight songs and the recording of this uh, string um, this session recording should be after two days so you have to work night and day <laughs> and and then after two days you go to the studio and you immediately listen what you have been working so you don't have to wait you know one year for for listen what right. you have done right. and and it it was such a, I'm I'm so grateful for this opportunity and it was yeah very very good school for me and uh, I think this um, well my father uh, he, he still does these kind of things and and he he also teach me very much about this but uh, so I'm very grateful I I had this opportunity and I think this ability to of an arranger I somehow unconsciously used it later so much in my music and you spoke about Craig's notebook what is that it's actually you know I used my abilities of an arranger to (laughs) to do all kind of things (laughs) with this folk tune so that's it (laughs) marvelous Yeah. yeah yeah 
it, among other things, I guess it just teaches you the nuts and bolts of harmony and timbre and instrumentation and, you know, I mean, it's uh, just everything. Stuff, and also yeah. that you have must be very quick in this work and also empathy to all kind of music because you, you know, you work with different kind of musicians who are very cool, but maybe they don't read scores so, so well. And but they have different abilities. I mean, they have such good memory, you know, they sing everything by heart. That's that's cool. You can't be an elitist. You you have to take people where they are yes, and, and yes, just exactly. make it better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I never never felt felt so. And I have uh, one one maybe important thing for me is too that I feel I have a, a deeper connection with um, interprets and uh, with singers and. Uh, uh, with people that, that, who who play the music, not not just you know my music, but in in general, well, my my good friends are all either players or or singers yeah. or somehow I feel I feel comfortable with them. I uh, I don't feel so comfortable with other composers. Uh -huh. Well, off the record. <laughs> <laughs> we'll scratch that. Yeah. No, but that's yeah. wonderful because you can then, uh, musicians can feel that from you and, and, and they will perform your work with greater uh, yeah. empathy and understanding. For yeah. me, it's more interesting to be part, part with, uh, with the players. And I just, you know, adore this kind of situations. Some time ago, we, I had a concert with Tallinn Chamber Orchestra and um, yeah, we, we we had a different setup in the hall. I mean, the orchestra was in the very middle of the hall, and then the audience was around it because it was connected to the idea of of my piece. It was like a small universe, and the sun uh, in the middle, and all the listeners were like planets. Wow. <laughs> okay, but anyway, uh, we uh, the audience was in the hall, and then I was with the musicians, and and I said to them that, you know, I would love to enter with you. And it was such a, well, this was a sacred moment for me because I, I was part of them, you know, I, I was, you know, we were all the soldiers of music and, and I entered to the hall with, with them and I was part, part of them. This, this was a moment of glory for myself. And then I, of course, sat down and just listened to yeah, music. So. Yeah. I think some some of our listeners will be surprised to know how rare that is, actually. Mm -hmm. Maybe they assume that composers are more hand-in-glove with the performer, but it's, it's a rare thing. That's <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It speaks to your uh, natural, I think, uh, empathy uh, with people. And now, again, off the record, when I'm in music festivals, I'm in abroad somewhere, I don't know. There were very many composers. Though. Then I, I know already this. <laughs> I've been through so many times in the lobby, in, in, in the breakfast in the hotel. All the composers come, <laughs> they have their cards, you know, and I have it too. And then suddenly I take it off, put it in my pocket. <laughs> I don't want to talk with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this feeling. <laughs> I often avoid uh, theology. Professors, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> off the record. <laughs> um, Donor, it's been an, a, an honor to meet you and it's such a joy to encounter you. And uh, thank you for your generous uh, 
time and for your uh, real thoughtfulness of, of your engagement with, with me in conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, listeners, for joining us. This podcast and the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir's Seminary are supported in part by the Henry Luce Foundation and by people like you. Please drop us a line. Consider how you can help us out. Find out more about today's guest, Tonu Korvitz, at instituteofsacredarts.com slash luminous and leave us a comment while you're there. Luminous was recorded at Surge Audio Online. Surge, a sorgan, is someone I work with hand in glove. And uh, thank you, my dear Surge. And I'm Peter Boutenev. Thanks for joining us. Surah.